0: Revelation chapter 21 is where we pick things up tonight, Sunday nights we make our way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, not all in one night, but uh, certainly not all in one night, but we pick things up in uh, chapter 21 verse 9. And in chapter 21, we have the Apostle John continuing uh, his description of the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem that is going to follow the destruction of this old fallen, uh, sin-tainted heavens and earth following the white throne judgment. And so he continues now in verse 9. And then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues. And so one of those angels reappears upon the scene. He came to John and he called and talked with me. John declares saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And so this angel invites John now to come and see the bride, the Lamb's wife. And when he goes, is taken up on this great mountain to view Uh, this bride, the Lamb's wife, this bride, he sees a city, New Jerusalem, descending uh, out of the heavens uh, toward the earth. And there's... Uh, some uh, discussion that goes on as it relates to uh, whether the New Jerusalem actually lands upon the earth itself and uh, and is is uh, attached to the earth or whether it is in kind of a low orbit around the earth uh, still allowing the inhabitants of the New Earth to have access to the New Jerusalem we don't really uh, really know but he sees this great and beautiful city that he's about to describe in just a moment. How in the world can a city be a bride? How can a city be the Lamb's uh, wife? And that's how the, the city is described. And the New Jerusalem is described that because it is the home or the dwelling place of Christians, of the Bride of Christ throughout all of eternity. As now we're dealing in the eternal uh, realm. Uh, so often when we uh, look at a city and maybe san diego or something and i say i'm going to san diego and maybe a family member would say well isn't that where uncle bob lives and uh, and we associate cities uh with important people and uh and, and so often, what makes a city a city is not its beauty supremely, or its landmarks, or uh, the buildings and the architecture. What makes a city special to us is the people who live there that we love. And that is what makes this city special for all of its beauty. He's going to talk about all of the beauty in just a few moments here, but that's not what makes this city beautiful to Jesus. What makes this city beautiful to Jesus is that you're there and that I'm there. And I think that's kind of sad, but I'm glad that he views it that way. I mean, it's uh, uh, amazing the grace that that he has and the love that he that he has uh, for us. And so this city that he's about to describe, having the glory of God, it is the description of the city that you and I currently, as the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, is preparing us uh, for. Now, I, uh, uh, you know, the world has gotten very, very small, hasn't it? With the ability to travel and get... 189 dollar tickets from the United States to Europe, or from you know the West Coast to uh, Hawaii or to Japan or whatever, depending on whatever the airlines are doing and and those things. And so I remember when I was in elementary school, the only person I ever knew up to the sixth grade that ever traveled out of the United States was a, a friend of mine by the name of Drew. He and his family went to Switzerland, and it was the talk of the school. Uh, for the whole year, nobody had ever gone uh, to hardly to Lake Tahoe, let alone to Switzerland. Come back with one of those nifty knives and everything. Wow! I mean, we all envied Drew pretty pretty seriously, and uh, and all. But uh, the Lord has blessed me with uh, the privilege of being able to travel a little bit, even internationally, related to things of the kingdom, and even even beyond. Do you think about the most beautiful city that you you have ever? Uh, seen and we're going to read about a city that tops anything you've ever seen Jerusalem is my favorite I think in terms of just leaving you in awe in terms of architecture and beauty I don't know how you top Venice Plus, the food's really great, and I happen to like the Italian people. I'm trying to mend, mend fences related to a comment I made a couple of weeks ago uh, with the Italian-American community, the American-Italian community, or whatever is politically uh, correct for saying uh, is when you try and mend fences with any particular people group. So, But Venice is amazing. The architecture built on this city, the waterways and all of this kind of thing, they're nothing compared. To where it is that we are uh, headed. Notice he begins the description of this new Jerusalem. Her light was like a most precious stone. Like, and notice that word, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The light that emanates out of the new Jerusalem is like a jasper stone. Now the jasper stone that we know today uh, is, is called the jasper stone. It is kind of a, uh, a, a milky or an opaque Uh, stone um, the stone that God is describing here and calling a Jasper in his word he says uh, calls it uh, a stone that is clear as crystal there is the uh, thought that maybe he's describing something like a diamond. It wasn't until more in the Middle Ages that diamonds became uh, kind of well-known around the world where a common person would know what a diamond was. You know, kings and rulers and uh, very, very wealthy people might have had a diamond in ancient times, but it wasn't something you might use to describe uh, anything to a person in hopes of giving them any kind of insight related to it if nobody knew knew what in the world a diamond was but he does seem to be describing a light that is in this city coming forth from this new Jerusalem that is like a a diamond that is shining under under a light tremendous Uh, beauty. He goes on then to describe uh, the uh, walls and the gates and all related to the city and she also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and so they're kind of like dormant or something. I don't know, Uh, you know, and uh, the angelic beings that we've seen so beautiful and and all, but one of them is going to be stationed at each of the, the 12 gates into the city and uh, and then the names and names written on the gates which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel and so there is even in the new Jerusalem the acknowledgement of the old testament saints who lived faithful to the word of god looked ahead in faith to the messiah that god would send for the forgiveness of their sins and all saints old testament new testament you know any kind of saint is is a blessing all of them and god acknowledges their faith uh, with their names of the twelve tribes of the children of israel uh, on the gates there were three gates on the east uh... three gates on the north three gates on the south of this city and three gates on the west as we're going to see in just a couple of minutes the city of new jerusalem is a cube. it is a uh... square and so you have on each side of this uh... Cube, uh... three gates and so the new jerusalem um... perfect symmetry associated with it so those of you who are a little asymmetrical um, you're gonna have to just change that's all and uh... Uh, and because symmetry is going to be in symmetry is very calming to me I like symmetry I like order I like matching and uh, that's that's just in my comfort zone so I'm going to love heaven some of the rest of you might have some adjustments related to that it was interesting when we were uh, designing the the buildings and all with the architect the architect um, God bless him he got a little frustrated with us at times and uh, because of uh... I wanted symmetry, and he's asymmetrical, and so we can't... I want the windows to be above the windows on both levels in the children's wing, and I want know—I want the whole thing to match like that. That's what's comfortable to me, and I'm going to have to live there, not you, and so please give me what I'm asking for here, you know. You say it in good terms because you, you, you want to upset an architect like you want to upset your dentist, all right, or your chef. So uh, anyway, but symmetry, I'm right. That's right here in the Bible. He's wrong. I'm right. You you get it? All right. Okay. So heaven is going to be symmetrical with these gates. And then notice verse 14. The wall of the city had 12 foundations. And so these walls go up. Underneath the four walls that make up this cube, there are 12 foundations, and on them were the names of uh, the twelve apostles of the uh, lamb and so uh, the four walls of the city they sit on the twelve foundations and each one of those uh, foundations bears uh, the name of one of the different uh, of the twelve apostles probably this is because of the foundational place that the apostles play uh, in in the church and the establishing of the early church and uh, how often you look as you read the book of Acts and then uh, church history how they were uh, despised by the world, persecuted, rejected, all of these things, but God took note of their sacrifice. Uh, he doesn't forget any person's sacrifice uh, for him, and uh, they are honored uh, in this way, among other ways. And then notice he begins to talk about the measurement or the size, size of this uh, new Jerusalem. And he who talked with me, this angel, had a gold reed to measure the city its gates and its wall and a reed is simply like we would call a yardstick or something we don't know exactly what the length of this particular uh... reed was uh... gold reed but it was it, that was used for measuring and the city is laid out as a square its length is as is great as its breadth. and uh... he measured and we're going to see in just a moment that its height is the same as its length and its breadth, so it is a cube which really speaks of the holiness of of new Uh, the new Jerusalem remember the Holy of Holies in both the tabernacle and in the temple the Holy of Holies was a perfect cube and it it was there that the Ark of the Covenant was representing the presence of, of God here is the new Jerusalem That is the holy of holies. It is where God will be and in His fullness and uh, and 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 all. And so here is the fulfillment of of what even the shape of the old holy of holies was in the old Old Testament. It's it's fulfillment uh, here in in the New uh, Jerusalem. So it's laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. It's length, breadth, and height are equal. Now, 12,000 furlongs is about 1,400 miles. So its length and its uh, breadth and its height, uh, the size of the New Jerusalem is the equivalent of three-quarters of the size of the United States. It is the size, it is the distance from the Canadian border to the Gulf of Mexico, from the East Coast to Colorado, and then not just is that the foundation kind of floor base plan of it, but it is then 1400 miles up in terms of of the height of the city. I mean, it, internally, the the square footage in there uh, indicates that we're not going to be living in dorms. There's going to be plenty of room, uh, you know, for everyone. It won't be like a camp, you know, a youth camp or something where there's 75 of us to a room or something. And we say, this is heaven. Uh, so, uh, but that that is the size of it. I mean, it's really uh, just... Uh, gigantic, and then you again consider the the height of it. it is about the size. Uh, of of the moon, and then he measured its wall, and that is the the thickness of this outer wall that is then built upon the foundation, and and, and that you know houses the inter- interior space, and uh, the interior me- the measurement was 144 cubits according to the measure of man, that is of an angel, and so the walls are 216 uh, feet thick <laughs> of of this jasper. And, and, and all. I mean, it's just going to be beautiful. Now, as we continue in in this uh, description, I, I just want to warn uh, all of you, ladies, in here. Just don't think about uh, any of your jewelry. Don't think about your wedding rings. It'll just so discontent uh, into your heart when you get a sense of of what's in the future uh, for you. The construction of the of its wall, this 216 feet thick, is of jasper, and the city was gold like clear glass. I'm not reading anything of stucco here. I'm not seeing any, you know, uh, 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 two-by-fours or anything. I mean, we're talking about pure jasper, 216 feet thick, and then pure gold. Used in the in the building of the city, uh, you know, uh, in heaven, gold is just like stucco, and jasper is like stucco, and 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 all, and so you know, we get all. Ah, forget. It. You know, we get all pumped up about these things and we're spending our lives trying to attain to all these things and all. Jesus is trying to tell us what the real riches are in life, you know. And, and, uh, and he's just saying, we, we build stuff out of the stuff you're spending your whole life trying to get and, uh, in, in heaven. And the foundations, we're told, of of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of of precious uh, stones, and the first foundation was jasper. So again, you've got the clear jasper. Now think of that. This is the this is the lowest foundation that is part uh, of the twelve foundations that the city is then uh, built upon, and uh, and and so you've got a sheet of jasper that's fourteen hundred miles by fourteen hundred miles. I mean, that's a lot of jasper. That's, that's pretty. And, he, and as we head into the list here a little bit, one of the things that I used to do, do as, as a boy when we'd go to the Napa Town and uh, Country Fair is I, uh, because I ran the Rabbit and Poultry Building. Just wanted to let you know that. And it's all gone downhill since I left. The ra- if you ever go there and you see the rabbit and poultry building it is a shell of its former self when we ran that place I mean we had the lop-eared French ra- I mean it was it, it was really something but anyway budget cuts all of this kind of stuff and uh, you know gifting and talent left and, uh, and, and all so but anyway I'd always go to the, to the 4-H things and look at the hogs and all that stuff and see hogs every day and uh, the cattle and the auctions and all that stuff and then the building to the north was filled well half filled with all that geology all the rocks all the stones and it is amazing when you look at they just cut these stones open and you see the blues and the greens and the yellows inside of a rock I mean it's it is it's a beauty that you know man can put that together and it's, it's amazing. So if you're in that field, and that's something that you study and you enjoy, you're really going to like this, and you're really going to like heaven. You'd like heaven anyway. Uh, but, and, and so the first foundation was jasper, this beautiful clear stone. The second was sapphire, just a beautiful, beautiful blue. The third foundation, uh, is it Chalcedony? Chalcedony. Chalcedony or something like that and and that's a green or a greenish blue and it's got stripes of other colors in it. I mean just one sheet of this after another piled on top of, of one another and then the fourth foundation emerald another green, a bright green and then uh, sardonyx for the fifth foundation which is a, a beautiful red and, and white and then the sixth foundation sardius which is a deep deep ruby red uh, uh, though sometimes it has has an amber or or a, a golden color to it, and then the seventh foundation is chrysolite or chrysolite and uh, a golden yellow color uh, and, and uh, uh, probably a little bit different from the modern chrysolite stone that is a pale green, probably one that, that had a beautiful yellow color. Then beryl, beryl, which is a sea green. Topaz, making up the ninth foundation, a transparent yellow green. And then uh, the tenth foundation, uh, chrysoprase and uh, another green. And then jacinth, uh, the Eleventh foundation, beautiful violet, and then the twelfth foundation, uh, amethyst, which is a, a beautiful, beautiful purple. And those are 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 the found. That's the foundation. <laughs> You'll never look at another foundation in the in the same way. That's just the foundation for the city of of New uh, Jerusalem. I mean, just stunning. One layer of beauty and natural color laid upon the other. And heaven is going to be a very, very beautiful place. Now the problem with something that that's, that's that beautiful is what kind of art do you put on the walls? <laughs> and how do you furnish something like that? God's got all that covered, by the way, as we'll see in, in another two hours. But it, it is, it's going to be stunning. It is going to be very, very, very uh, beautiful. Imagine the value. 14 a uh, 100 mile square pieces of these precious stones just the the value of of that uh, new jerusalem all done for us and when he speaks about the 12 foundations one layered upon another upon another surely it speaks about the stability of uh, of heaven, that it is immovable and that it's going to offer us a stability for eternity. And then, verse twenty one, the twelve gates were twelve uh, pearls. Imagine the oysters. That we don't know whether the. I mean, you're talking about a, a wall that is, uh, is fourteen uh, hundred miles wide, fourteen hundred miles high. I mean, the 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 pearl uh, doorway, uh, you know, uh, could be. Uh, a hundred feet high a thousand feet high we we don't really know now this is where you get the whole talking about the pearly gates heaven is referred to as a, uh, and entering into the pearly gates it comes from uh, this passage uh, right here and each individual gate was uh, of one pearl and then the street of the city those of you who live in Modesto you'll love this the street of the city was pure gold uh, like transparent glass. And uh, as those of you are familiar with the Bible, uh, familiar with, uh, you know, the observation that gold is used as asphalt in, in heaven. Now, it doesn't say streets. It's a single street. I don't know all about that, but there's a single great street in this, this new Jerusalem and, uh, but it is solid gold, and it is of a gold that is so pure that it looks uh, like glass. And so, just as smooth as, as uh, anything uh, can be without. Uh, even raising our taxes to, uh, to produce uh, something like that. And then he said, I saw no temple in the New Jerusalem, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The reason that there was a tabernacle and a temple in the Old Testament all the way through the Old Testament was that represented the presence of God. There won't be a, a need to have a church building or a temple or a tabernacle in the New Jerusalem because uh, we won't need to speak Symbolically of the presence of the Lord, uh, we will be interacting with him face to face. The entirety of the Old Testament, the temple, all the furnishings, it, it spoke of Christ. It was a shadow of the substance that, that Christ is. And now here in all of eternity, no more shadows, no more types, because the the. Uh, fullness of those shadows will be, will be our eternal uh, portion. And the city verse 23 had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it the Lamb is its light. And so in heaven uh, no electric bills and uh, uh, anything like that uh, the light is free there because Jesus And uh, the Father, they're going to provide all of the illumination and all of the light uh, in heaven. Uh, And I don't know whether we'll sleep in heaven. I I kind of doubt it because it's going to be very, very lit all of the time and and all. But that's that's how the city is going to be lit. Now, this is interesting because when we get into Genesis next week and we start the Bible all over again, uh, there is some people are greatly troubled by the fact that uh, the plant life is is created by God on a particular day, but the uh, sun and and the moon and the stars are not given its place of prominence until uh, a day or so later, and. Uh, uh, The reason that people have a problem with that is because they don't view it as literal days, they view it as ages, and so if you're going to view it as ages, then everything's going to die without the light, Uh, but it isn't ages, it's literal days, and we'll talk about that a little bit next week, but the fact of the matter is, is that God does not need the sun or the moon or the stars to keep anything alive. Uh, we're going to see in just a moment here, we're going to see uh, the tree of life. We're going to see water flowing in the new Jerusalem. And these trees are, are kept alive and they flourish from the light that emanates from uh, him. Surely that is a superior light to anything that the sun can uh, produce. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. So again, we don't know whether this city orbits or whether it sits upon the earth, but the kings of, of the earth and the nations, there will be a moving between the new Jerusalem and and the new earth, they'll bring their glory and bring their honor into it, in, in acknowledging the Lord and all of the goodness that is is being produced upon the new earth. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, uh, and and there shall be no night there. Now, in ancient times, they would shut the gates of a walled city uh, in order to uh, uh, limit access. and uh, and most often because uh, they'd close the gates at night because of fear of attack. But in heaven, uh, the gates of the city are going to always be open, always full access uh, to the new Jerusalem. And since there is no danger of attack uh, or any wrongdoing, there's no need to shut um, the gates at, at all. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it but there shall by no means enter it uh, uh, no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the lambs uh, book of life and so this new jerusalem and new heavens and new earth it will be pure it will be holy it will never ever ever be tainted uh, by um, sin, chapter uh, 22. And he showed me, you know, as we're kind of reading here through chapter 21, you can look and say, well, uh, you know, I really like the beauty of the foundations. I like the thick walls and, and the jasper stone and, and everything about that. But, you know... Uh, it seems a little sterile to me, and uh, would it be, I hope there's a, they put a plant somewhere uh, or, or something that uh, indicates life in, in the city, and, uh, and here he moves on to that. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. So we're talking about a pure river, so we know we're talking about heaven and not earth. They're all polluted here, so he shows me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, uh, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So there's the throne of God, the throne of the Lamb, of Jesus there. And then coming forth from their throne is this river of water that is is clear and it's pure. It's called the river, uh, the water of life. Um, that speaks of it being living water. When uh, the Bible speaks of living water, out, Jesus said, out of his innermost being, uh, the person that believes in him will flow rivers of living water. Living water is running water. Versus a pond or something that's stagnant, and so this this water that is coming forth from the throne uh, 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 thrones of Father and Son, it's it's a stream. It is a river. It's it is a it is running pure running water. Now, one of the most beautiful things you fishermen know it more than the rest of us, but one of the most peaceful experiences in life is to sit by a river that is flowing. And just to watch that water go by and and the beauty of it and how peaceful it is. And heaven's going to be a, a very, very peaceful place. It's going to be a clean place. It's going to be a pure place. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And so you've got to picture this in your mind. You've got uh, the throne of the Father and the Lamb. And there's a great river that is coming forth from their thrones, uh, probably at the base of it somehow and, and all. And then, you know how if you head down toward Costco and, uh, uh, you know, to change from heaven <laughs> in a heartbeat, but uh, head down Pellendale toward Costco and all and the traffic and everything. But you drive down the street and you know that island that's in the street where they do the landscaping that's there and, uh, and, and the, the median that's there and they put the plants all in it. that's kind of what he's describing here is you've got uh, the, the river that's flowing forth and in the midst of the river there's kind of a, a island median that's there and the tree of life is planted in that median and then the tree of life uh, and there's more than one of them planted is planted then on both sides of, of the river so there's a very very strong representation of of the tree of life uh... in in the new uh... jerusalem in in uh, in in heaven so the introduction of plant and, and vegetation into this eternal scene now the mention of the tree of life uh... takes us back to genesis where it's mentioned in genesis chapter two verse nine as being a part of the garden of eden in fact it was in the very midst of the garden of eden and uh, out of the ground Genesis declares the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil what's kind of neat about uh, the new Jerusalem is there is only a mention of the tree of life there is no mention of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil good riddance <laughs> just best to be done with that whole thing right and uh, and, all. and that, that tree of life in the book of Genesis somehow I mean nobody knows exactly you know with absolute clarity but somehow it played a part in per- perpetuating a physical life forever because then when we read in Genesis chapter 3 following the fall of, of Adam and Eve the Lord God said Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And so he drove out man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Following the fall of Adam and Eve, God, as an act of his mercy and his grace, uh, stopped in any any way for Adam and Eve to have access to the tree of life, to partake of it, lest they should forever live in, in a sinful uh, state. And so here is the tree of life reintroduced now uh, into God's plan, represented here uh, in, in eternity. So he sees the tree. There's multiple trees lining uh, the, the uh, river. Now notice what he speaks about. Uh, concerning the fruit of it. It, it bears uh, 12 fruits, different fruits, and uh, each tree yielding its fruit every month. So uh, January, it's one fruit, and February, it's one fruit, if we count time that way. In, in eternity, March it's, it is its own fruit, and so very, very unique uh, in, in its ability uh, to do that. Can you imagine what the fruit is going to be like in heaven? <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait. To taste the Thompson seedless grape in heaven. <laughs> or a tree ripened peach. And that's one of the great blessings of living in the valley is to taste the, the peaches at the end of, of summer. And it's really, really something. And, uh, and nothing's better than have it be tree ripened. And, and here, these trees producing this. He says, that the leaves are for the healing uh, of the nations. Now, we don't know, uh, nobody that I know of uh, has absolute clarity on just uh, what that means exactly. Uh, but it seems to be a figurative way of saying that in eternity there's going to be perpetual uh, good health. Somehow this plays a part in, in all uh, of, of that. And then notice in verse 3, there shall be no more curse. no more curse everything that came into the human condition through the curse is it will be no more ever again no sin no temptation no death no disease no cursed earth and and earning a living out of it by the sweat of our brow no separation from god i don't think any of us can comprehend how far reaching the curse is into this this earth and uh um, you know, and how we fight against the result of of the curse every single day uh, of our life, but one day it is going to be gone. No more curse. But the throne of God of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. Notice that word "serve." That's interesting, isn't it? We're going to serve Him in eternity. And and and. We have been created, even in original creation with Adam and Eve. God called Adam and Eve, and when he created uh, Adam, he, he told him that he was to tend the garden of Eden it wasn't the back-breaking work that it is today to produce something from the earth because of the curse and you know there's no weeds and there's no were no thistles then and the whole earth was watered you didn't have to irrigate or you know all that kind of stuff that was watered by a mist and all but there was something that Adam brought to the tending of that garden in other words even in original creation we were we are meant to be productive And that will continue in eternity. We will. We're not going to sweat. We're not going to. The alarm's not going to go off and go. Oh no! I got to commute into New Jerusalem again. I hate that. Four hours. The traffic's getting so bad. I can't believe. There's not going to be any of that. It's just. It's going to be great. But I think it's interesting to, to note that about eternity. And notice that they shall see his face. No longer will we relate to God through a glass darkly. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, one day face to face. We'll never, in in eternity, we'll never lift a prayer up in faith to God. Having faith that he's heard it, that it's impacted him, that he is responding to that. Uh, everything now will be with this kind of face-to-face uh, intimacy. So, you know, sometimes we read Moses, and it talks about the intimacy of the relationship that he had with God, and he met with God face-to-face and, and had the afterglow as a result of it, and he was the only one among, you know, this great uh, multitude of the children of Israel, and you can look at that and, you know, kind of be envious of it. It will be our portion forever and ever. But our portion is, is infinitely greater than Moses's was even now because of who and what we are in, in Christ, the access we have because of Jesus. And his name shall be on their foreheads. So no, no mark of the beast or the Antichrist like the others on the earth, God's name will be on us. Now, to put a name on something in the ancient world was to declare ownership. So forever and ever through all of eternity, the Lord is going to claim us, as, as his home. He is going to openly and publicly identify himself with us as, as his uh, uh, children. This is uh, really very, very wonderful. And there shall be no night there, and they shall need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever. And ever, because that kingdom is never, ever going uh, to come to an end. And then in verse 6, something interesting happens here. Uh, It appears that now uh, John's attention moves from the viewing of eternity, of the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and now he's kind of brought back to 90 AD. And uh, the vision that he is experiencing of heaven uh, on the island of, of Patmos, and uh, now to finish up uh, the rest of the revelation here uh, by by the Lord. So he moves away from this future kind of revelation to some closing exhortations that that he gives us the rest of the way, and then he uh, that. Uh, angel uh, said uh, to me, John declares, these words are faithful and true. In other words, we can bet our lives on this entire revelation that's been given to us uh, from chapter 1 all the way through uh, chapter uh, 22. Sometimes you, you read through the book of Revelation, and I mean, here we are, we, des- we, we deal with disappointment, we deal with our own temptations, we deal with our own sin and our own failure, we deal with death, we deal with disease, we deal with, uh, you know, working, uh, you know, hard to earn a living from the earth and all of these things. And as we read this description that is given to us in the book of Revelation, I mean, there can be the temptation for the thought to rise up. Uh, within us that this is way too good to be true this is all poetic language this is just a fancy way of saying you know it'll be uh, uh, you know it at least by degrees somewhat better than we have right now and 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 God comes in as he closes up this letter and and he he declares to all of us never think that what I've described here as being too good to be true is going to happen it's going to be a part of our history we're going to be in that new heaven, that new earth, that new Jerusalem. We will be there. We will see it. And uh, maybe knowing a little bit about the book of Revelation, you can give tours and uh, learn how to pronounce all of the uh, precious stones that make up the foundation, and then I'll attend that so I can learn uh, how to describe them properly. Yeah. Um, uh, you know. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Now, uh, as we saw at the very beginning of the book of Revelation, this uh, book is a revelation. And you notice that word to show. The whole reason this, thing is, it, this revelation is given is to show God's servants the things which must take place, uh, must shortly take place. Again, this book is not a hidden book, it is a revelation of God. It is given in order that we might understand it and know the history of the world in advance for what that produces. Uh, within us. And Jesus then declares in verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. In other words, it's certain. I am returning. This whole thing is going to come go forward when he does. And blessed is he who keeps the words... Of the prophecy of this book and so this book reminds us of the fact that Jesus is coming back and when Jesus comes back of course we want to be found obeying him obeying what's in this uh, book and the entirety of the Bible also to be found uh, watching and and waiting for him and working while we wait for him now I John saw and heard these things and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. This is the second time. Kind of think about the, the straw man in the um, Wizard of Oz, probably shouldn't mention that. Uh, that I know anything about the Wizard of Oz, but I do. And, uh, you know, he's kind of fallen down and everything. And I mean, it, 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 and here is John. He falls down and he, and he begins to worship this angel that's given him, uh, delivered this revelation to him. Notice what the angel does. This is the second time that John's done this. And the angel says to John, it's very humble of John to put this in the Bible, isn't it? And uh, he said, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book, worship uh, God. And so here he is as he falls down and, and begins to uh, worship the angel because he, as he sees all of this, as he's seen this entire revelation of from Revelation chapter 1 now through chapter 22, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the curse gone, he's seen all of it with his own eyes. He realized this is where history is going to end for God's people, and he is filled with an, a, a, a huge need to worship somebody or something in the light of the revelation. He's 90 years old. I mean, he is spiritually mature in a way that most of us can only dream of. And I include myself in that number. He knows better than this. But what he sees is so outstanding that he feels like he's got to worship someone even the one who brings the revelation to him to say nothing of the one who is able to produce such a revelation and such a reality for his future. Now, he's wrong in it. But that tells us how amazing heaven is going to be. Now, the angel is very, very interesting because the angels are very, very well aware that sin entered into the human condition through an angel. Satan fell in the angelic realm uh, sometime before Adam and Eve fell prey uh, to his temptation in the Garden of Eden. And it was an angel who wanted to rob God of the worship that he alone was due that started this whole big mess. And then here is this angel that sees a man wanting to worship him over what he's seen. And it's like, been there, done that. Please don't do this. This is not where we want to go related to this and rebukes him and tells him. And one of the most beautiful two words you can find in all of, of the Bible there at the end of verse 9. Worship God. Don't worship the messenger. I just deliver the news here and God's the one that you want to worship, the angel says. And he said to me, uh, to John, after he rebukes him and corrects him, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Isn't it crazy in the light of verse 10 there that such a huge portion of the body of Christ views the book of Revelation as a sealed book? Impossible to understand. It's sealed. We'll have to know one day. And I mean, here he is just as clear as can be. Don't seal the words of the prophecy of this book. It's meant to be understood. And then he declares, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. Still. Now he's bringing this book now to an end. Closing the book now, John is. And it's as if he is saying that if a person is unmoved by the prophecies of this book, and if these warnings and these realities and this coming judgment and this call to repentance and purity it will not change a person, if this message will not work in causing a person to turn from their sin to God, then nothing will. And that's kind of what he's declaring here. John's saying, Be careful how you leave this book this is the truth about the future of the world. And everyone needs to be careful how we leave this book, how we close it, and to make sure that our life is one that's in line with the understanding that this is the future. And so we live a righteous life. We walk with God. We believe in Christ for salvation. I beg you tonight, if you don't know the Lord, never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. And and as your Lord, that you would not close this book that we've been studying for these weeks and continue in sin and not be moved by what it is that he has revealed in this revelation. You need to be on the right side of God and on the right side of eternity. It's scary, he's saying, if a person can know all of this and continue in sin. Now, he's going he's gonna to make a call for people to be saved before he gets done with this book. Now, notice um, he goes on to say, And behold, verse 12, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Now, that's the second time he reminds us that he's coming quickly. He's going to do it one more time before he's done. Verse 7, and then again in verse 12, that he's coming quickly. Anytime God repeats himself, he's got my attention. He's got my attention when he says something the first time. And so this book is written so that we realize Jesus is coming quickly and he's going to reward us for our faithfulness when he does come. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In other words, he is going to finish what he began in Genesis chapter 1. This whole heavens, earth, universe, everything, he, it's, it's going to have the end that he wants it to have, not the United Nations, not the rulers of the world, not man, not anybody. He's going to bring, be the one that brings all of what he began in Genesis 1 to, to, to a finish. His, it's his name. It's his nature. And blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right, to the tree of life and may enter through the gates uh, into uh, the city. And so here are the blessings, the eternal blessings of those who uh, keep Jesus' commandments. In other words, we have trusted in him as our Savior and Lord and obey him in response to that. But outside, separated from these blessings are dogs and uh, sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever uh, loves and practices uh, a lie. Now, in contrast to the, the blessings of the child of God there in verse 14, uh, this is uh, what ha- these are the people that will be outside of heaven, and they choose to live in sin. They love their sin more than God. They want sin more than God, and so they will not uh, enter into heaven, nor know the blessings of heaven. He talks about dogs there. Uh, you know, you mean little Fifi's not going to I don't know that uh, the little French poodle is going to make it into heaven or not but he's not talking about literal dogs there uh, he's talking about false teachers remember Paul when he wrote to the Philippians of the false teachers and he said beware of dogs, beware of evil workers beware of the mutilation and so uh, uh, the, he says none of these false teachers are going to have a place in, in heaven. talks about sorcerers and those who practice the occult and, and they communicate with the demonic realm for the purpose of um, uh, profiting from it. The sorcery, uh, that's the word that's used in, in the New Testament for uh, the, the Greek word that's used for sorcery is the word pharmakia. We get our word pharmacy uh, from it. And so it speaks about those that are uh, using uh, uh, drugs for the purpose of altering the mind, you know, and, and, and this this kind of thing is forbidden for a Christian. That's not what we're to be involved in. We're to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. He talks about... Uh, wasn't it fascinating? Uh, let's see what time. Okay. Uh, the um, I was reading an article in the Bee a couple of weeks ago and they are talking about, I don't know if it was Frito-Lay or someone, but they had that job fair and they were talking about uh, the um, talking about the, the drug problem in the valley, and, and they were the the person that represented Frito Lay or, or I forget what company, don't quote me on that, but a very very well known company said stated that in its hiring in I think Merced and Modesto or Merced and Bakersfield and those two places that only two percent of the applicants passed the drug test. And the article said this was revealed to a stunned audience. I mean, that's the degree that, that, that drug use goes on. I'm not saying in every, you know, strata of the population, but it has no place in the child of God. God has set us free from these things. I remember one time I talked with a woman and many, many years ago, and her husband was... You know, everything was going into cocaine and the whole thing. And and she, in the session, she didn't refer to it as cocaine. She called it white Satan. And uh, she wasn't far from the truth at all related to that. The devil really uses it to bring people into bondage. Jesus will set us free. Uh, from that and give us a greater love for him than those those other things but then he talks about the sexually immoral and that's rampant in the culture and murders idolaters those who worship anything other than God and whoever loves and practices a lie and they're not going to be in heaven and they're not going to be in heaven because they don't want to be in heaven they want their sin more than God and uh, that is the choice that God will honor for eternity it is frightening and it is very very Uh, Sad, but it is righteous. And Jesus said in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So he uses two names concerning himself as he closes the letter. He is the root and the offspring of David. When he speaks himself as the root of, of King David, he created David. He brought David into existence but when he declares himself also to be the offspring of David it means that he was also born a descendant of David born into this world through the Jewish uh, lineage of David so he is uh, like no one else can be, it's a name that's unique to him he is the root, the creator of David and yet at the same time the offspring of David and he is the bright and morning star the bright and morning star refers to the to the uh the uh, brightest star just before the, the the dawn uh comes uh and and brings in a new day and so jesus is going to be the one that takes and as this whole uh, very dark period of human history because uh, of man's sin and because of the fall one day that is going to give way to a new day and a new eternity that's bright, and Jesus is going to be the one that does that. Now notice the attitude of the Spirit and the bride to the news that Jesus is coming back and that this is who he is, and the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, and then the bride, that's us, the bride of Christ. What is our response to Jesus when he, when he says that he's coming again and all of this is, darkness is going to give way to light? Our response is, come looking forward to the coming of of Jesus Christ, of his return, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, uh, let him take uh, the water of life freely. And this is beautiful, I think, in verse 17, because here the Holy Spirit, he can't close the book now without throwing the nets out one more time to anyone all through human history that has read through the book of Revelation and you read about the seals and the trumpets and the bowls and the judgment that's coming and the horror of all of it and then the demons that come up out of the shaft and hair like women and locusts and stingers and all of this stuff and by the time they get to the end, you know, say, is there any way for me to escape this? I don't want to be a part of this judgment. Is there any way? And here is the Lord at the end of the book inviting everyone who reads the book and everyone in this room. There's still time to come to Him. You know what you have to have to come to Him? All you have to have is a thirst. A thirst for Him. A longing for Him. And then He'll come and He'll quench that thirst as you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. I love that about God. He doesn't have to do this. He's always throwing the nets out, always throwing, all the way to the last minute, throwing the nets out. He wants everybody to be saved, you included. And then he said, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things that are written in the book. All of it. The whole future, gone. That's pretty serious. God is very serious about his word. And he warns elsewhere concerning the word as a whole. But here, this is the warning having to do with the book of Revelation. Revelation and he warns the copyists who would ever copy this from parchment to parchment throughout human history he warns every teacher of the Word of God and of the book of Revelation don't add anything to this book or I will add the plagues to you don't uh, take anything out of this book I will take your name out of the book of life somebody says well that's got to be poetic language Now you're taking something out of the book, aren't you? You're on your own, buckaroo. I'm not following you there. I'm just not going to do it. And that's one of the reasons that I have problems for me personally, one of the many reasons, but a very specific one, related to a post-tribulation rapture view. Because one must spiritualize so much of the book of Revelation to hold the view. And I'm not willing to do it. And here is God as he says this, and basically what he is, is saying, he knows the heaviness of the book. You know the heaviness of the book. <laughs> you invite a friend to come or a neighbor, you see him across the room and you say, boy, did he have to come during Revelation chapter 17? I mean, so heavy but so beautiful in, in the whole thing. But the, the, the great temptation god knew that we would have to try and explain this away or add this in he knows what he wants to say he knows what he wants to communicate he knows what he wants to reveal to man and you and i can't add anything to it we cannot improve his revelation so the book strong warning leave the book alone declare it as best as you know how and where you aren't certain add a lot of i think and perhaps and as if to say in a manner of speaking nobody knows but it could be when you don't know if you like your book your name in the book of life and you don't like the plagues that you read in here i like it i like it because i'm a pastor and i'm a teacher and i like it when he just takes and keeps me in place i'll tell you i love it who knows how i teach it without the warning Well, you know, then I'd have a a TV show or something, you know. (laughs) Blabbing with Damien Kyle, you know. Like all of the, so much of the, not all, so much of the political Sunday shows, you know. Anyway, we better not go there. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things. This is the third time now. Jesus tells us, speaks to us as the bride. He said, surely... I am coming quickly. He's coming quickly. I have a bride's anticipation for the coming of my groom. Since the day I was born again, I am looking forward to his coming. And then he then it declares, "Amen," which means that's the truth. So be it. And then John writes his response to this. Declaration by Jesus that he's coming quickly even so come Lord Jesus now you could have written that too couldn't you if John had used, God had used you to put this book it's in our heart isn't it for the coming of the Lord even so come Lord Jesus and then in verse 21 John closes it with a beautiful benediction the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all amen which means so be it and that's the truth. He closes by commending every single person that reads this book, that knows the Lord, every single one of us in this room, commending us to the grace of God. That's how we know this is in our future. Not because we've earned it, not because we're deserving of it, not because we're faithful, not because, 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 because of anything but our faith in Christ. The same grace that saved us is the grace that God gives to us now to walk faithfully with Him. And it's the same. Uh, 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 what is the amazing grace? It's grace that, you know, kept me uh, safe this far and grace will lead me home. And that's the truth. So you look at it and say, I'll never make it. You'll make it. Trusted trust it in Christ, you'll make it. It's grace that, is the reason that this is in our future. Yes, the trumpets are coming, the seals are coming, the bowls are coming. All of that has their place in in the history, but grace will have the final say concerning our lives. Amen, he says. That's the truth. So be it. I like books with happy endings, (laughs) especially when they involve me. And they involve eternity, and this book has a happy ending for every single person that knows Christ and has honored the Father by putting their faith in Him. And God wants that ending for every single person. If you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior and as your personal Lord, you need to do that tonight. And immediately after our service is going to be men and women who will be up in front, have a badge on that says prayer so you can identify them easily. And They'd love to pray with you tonight to make Jesus your Savior and your Lord and begin a personal relationship with God so that all that we have read tonight can be a part of your future also. And God, will, he will love to do it. He will love to forgive you. He will love to save you. He will love to make this your eternal portion. No matter where we've been in life, what we've done, what we've experienced, any of those things, nothing is greater than his ability to forgive. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so a beautiful, beautiful ending to the book, to human history, because it's God's ending. Remember somebody said related to the book of Revelation as we began it uh, so many weeks ago don't read the book of Revelation because it either finds a man mad or makes him mad you know I I I feel like I'm on the Pirates of the Caribbean when I read that quote says he you know oh then you dip down who It's been a blessing to go through it. I hope it's been a blessing for for you. God said he would make it uh, a blessing. The history in advance. So while it is all unfolding before our eyes, we can be at peace knowing where it is going to end. And he wants us